1: Hi there, I'm Jason Gotts, and you're listening to Think Again, a Big Think Podcast. When was the last time you were bored? I mean, really, well and truly, staring at the patterns in the wallpaper, bored? Statistics suggest that you're probably listening to this show on a smartphone, which means you own a smartphone, which means it's probably always close at hand, full of apps and podcasts to distract you the instant that uncomfortable feeling of boredom creeps in, which means your brain almost never gets the chance to sit with that restlessness and come up with creative alternatives from daydreaming to doing something brilliant or at least less boring in real life. If that's not you, awesome, but it's a lot of us these days. My guest today, Manush Samarodi, is the host of Note to Self, a popular radio show and podcast on how we live with technology. An experiment she did on the show with the eager help of 20,000 fans became the subject of her new book, Bored and Brilliant How Spacing Out Can Unlock Your Most Productive and Creative Self. Welcome, Manush.
0: Thank you, Jason. I'm psyched to be here. Yeah,
1: I'm so psyched to have you here. Um, so.
0: Yeah. Where do you want to start? Yeah, you just we, made me we, laugh well, with that intro. It was funny. Oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, well, and I was actually, when I, when I wrote it, I wrote it on an app on my smartphone <laughs> and I was going to be reading it off of that app. And I, and then I thought, okay, no, let me actually, be meta. you know, yeah, somehow not have, not have every moment of my life engaged in my phone. But, um, it's hard. It is hard. So what is there to talk about here? There's a lot to talk about, yeah. but I mean, at the same time, right, there is this conversation that we we feel like we hear over and over again, mm-hmm. which is like, oh no, our devices, our life is yeah. being totally inundated, and yet, what can you do about it, kind of thing. Like, what, what, what it's happened? It's far more th- interesting yeah, than yeah, that, yeah, yeah, I think.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and
0: it's a shame that I think, you know, that's been my goal, not to be finger-waggy, like, you should get off your phone. Right. like, oh my god, you're on your phone again. Like, no, 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 it's really interesting. Okay, so I'll just start from my own yeah, perspective, yeah. Yeah, which yeah. was that, so it was like 2014, um, the podcast kind of was very new, and I really wanted to, you know, I wanted to kill it. I wanted to come up with some amazing ideas, and I had this own personal moment where I sat down to come up with those ideas, or I thought I was, and I, like, felt nothing, Jason. Like, there was, like, sand in my brain, right? and it was extremely unsettling.
1: So it was like I'm sorry. Idea about technology or about what was I going to ideas for like, the show, like creative anything. ideas, yeah, yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: What was I going to do? What yeah,
1: yeah.
0: how was I going to sort of change what the show could be? And um, and it was I always thought of myself as a creative person and it was extremely unsettling to have there be this sort of like nothingness in my head. And so it sort of made me start to wonder W- when had I had my best ideas? Mm. And it was it was total cliche, like staring out the window on a long car ride or in the shower. And now I realize that all the little cracks in my day, like when I used to be spacing out, right? right? Like, you know, waiting in line for a cup of coffee. I was looking at my phone. And so it sort of made me realize that I was never bored right. ever. And then it started, you know, this is the good thing that happened, which was that it started to make me think like, well, what actually happens in our brains when we get bored and like, what could be happening to us as a society? If we never get bored ever again, if like we get rid of this human state Entirely, like, are we going to be missing out on something? So I fell down this total rabbit hole and trying to understand what boredom was, and and and
1: indeed, it turns out that there are boredom researchers, yes. which was news <laughs> to me. People yeah. are, like at universities whose job is to study boredom.
0: Correct. Yeah. Not a lot of them, <laughs> but there are a few, and there's also actually, and there's more um, connection to mind wandering research. Right. And in fact, we are at this moment in neuroscience where we're at a, a new sort of Chapter in understanding what actually happens in the brain when we allow it to wander So if you think of boredom as the gateway to mind-wandering, right. right? So you th- you know so
1: mind-wandering is sort of Daydreaming people might exactly think of, yeah.
0: exactly and it turns out that when you're bored and your brain or your mind begins to wander, you ignite a network in your brain called the default mode. Right. And in the default mode, this is when you are, you know, you can't be focused on anything physically, because that requires different networks of your brain. Right. And it's not mindfulness when you're like trying to meditate. That's different too. This is a specific network where you actually do your most original thinking problem solving, you do something called autobiographical planning. Mm. This is where you look back at your life, you take note of the highs, the lows, you build a cohesive narrative. Narrative. Yeah. Exactly. You Which is what we do
1: when we dream too at night to I'm, a certain extent. I'm no expert
0: on dreaming. Okay. Well I night. just
1: I'm just asterisk, yeah. Like Is that, that right? Yeah. That I mean that's their best understanding of why we dream. Well
0: that's fascinating. The mind is wandering. Yeah. Asleep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Daydreaming, night dreaming. Makes total sense actually. yeah So this idea of creating theory of mind, right? That's what they call it. But then you also do something else. You to have prospective bias as psychologists call it, meaning that the thoughts that you then have go into the future, right? You right. start to imagine what are my goals? How am I gonna set create the steps needed to reach those goals? It's about crafting a life. It's about having potentially your most important ideas that you can possibly have. Why is
1: that called perspective bias? Pr- prospective oh, bias? prospective bias. Prospect Yes. Oh, okay, okay. Thinking okay. into okay. the future. Got it. Exactly.
0: Okay. The you know look there mind wandering is not always great. You can have um, dysphoric mind wandering, which is where you ruminate on something. You you can't let it go. But it can also be positive, constructive mind wandering, which is the type that I focus on in the book, which is this problem solving and original Mm -hmm. thinking. And so what I asked my audience to do, I was like, well, what do you guys think? Would you be interested in seeing if by changing our digital habits, we could have a little more boredom in our life and see if that actually results in sparking creativity and productivity.
1: Right. And they did, and we'll we'll come to that. Okay. Uh, but because it seems like there are two things going on here, like in terms of there being no space for boredom in mm-hmm. our lives, right? One is one is these devices that are, you know, and the apps that are designed to hold our attention. Yep. And attention so attention
0: economy as we're now for, all calling it.
1: For sure. And then and then one is uh, you know, the other is kind of a utilitarian productivity focus yes. where a lot of us have trouble simply leaving space in our lives to do nothing, as it were. Correct. Yeah,
0: yeah it's almost like because of the devices, we now see the negative space in our lives differently. <laughs> right? Do you know what I mean? Like when I was a kid, Nobody ever taught us to be bored. Like, you spent a lot of time staring out the window in math class. right? But now, you know, talking to one of – we had a lot of teachers do this project with us. And one of the teachers was saying to me, there is a constant – mediation of class time by screens. So even if they're not looking at their phones, there are smart boards that they're looking at, there are iPads that they're looking at. Yeah. Yeah, Which is great. They're trying to keep kids interested in school, keep them active and attentive. But actually what we're missing out is that spacing out time. And it turns out that, I mean, being the type A productive society that we are, maybe we need to schedule in time to be bored and allow our minds to wander.
1: I mean, childhood in, like, classic children's literature mm. looks like running around with a stick that you've turned into a sword, you know, fighting Correct. imaginary dragons and, and so on. Right. It doesn't really look like that so much. I, do, you, do you have, do you have I kids? I do,
0: yeah. I do have kids. And yeah, you know, me too. I, how old are
1: yours? Uh, one who's almost 10.
0: Okay, so I have a 10-year-old and I have a 7-year-old. And honestly, so I've been on book tour, right? And the top two issues that came up on book tour were workplace burnout mm. and struggles with parenting. Because I think we've been somewhere along the line, we were sold this idea that being a parent meant keeping those little minds engaged as much as possible. And that if your kids said that they were bored, it meant that you were
1: failing right. as a parent. Right. I don't
0: know where that narrative came it from. It
1: comes seems to co- co-arise with this idea with the idea of parenting as a verb, as something that we do actively all the (laughs) time. Totally.
0: Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And so I feel like I see this sort of like the shoulders drop and there's this big collective sigh of relief when I explain to parents that when your kid says or complains, I'm bored, you should say like, good, that's good. I'm, I'm, I'm actually teaching you the capacity to problem solve, to think, unusual thoughts to not need a device or a puzzle or a parent to stimulate your brain because there's enough upstairs for you to do it yourself.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm going to out myself as like, I, you know, when it comes to my own device use, I actually... I've been pretty disciplined. Like uh-huh. I basically, I don't know, about a year ago or something, I deleted Facebook from my phone. I don't use oh. Tweetbot, Twitter, on there anymore. Maybe uh-huh. it's I around the time I talked to Adam Alter on uh-huh. this show. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> He'll um, do that to you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and and you know, I don't. I charge the phone in a different room because, mm-hmm. like, that crazy research that both yep. you and he cite that, like, if the phone is even near you, inert, it's taking your attention away. Yes. However, when it comes to my my son, Mm -hmm. like it's been a very kind of emotionally prickly thing for me Mm -hmm. trying to figure out where the hell to set limits with this stuff. Mm -hmm. He watches. I mean, you know, all during the week, he's totally engaged. He's at school. He comes home. He has homework. He practices his guitar. There's literally no screen time during the week. But on the weekends, Mm. Dude, I mean, it's do you, you know, so, Do you have rules or what do you do? Yeah, I mean, he watches these YouTube shows mm-hmm. and he plays with Minecraft, and mm-hmm. I just neither my wife nor I we didn't want to be setting arbitrary rules mm-hmm. about screen time, right? Mm-hmm. We, it's not like we have a problem saying no to our kid. We mm-hmm. say no to him all the time on all kinds of things, but we didn't want to be setting rules on the basis of some antiquated notion of mm-hmm. like screens are bad, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. I just have all these friends who are like, it's, they've got these completely arbitrary rules. They're just like, okay, it's three hours. Like, yeah. okay.
0: Well, I would say that the American Pediatric Association has in now included screens for, they used to say no TV under the age of two. Now they say all screens. And then they say that the limit should be two hours per day, all screens, not just TV.
1: Under two, no, beyond, uh, beyond two, two, above Correct. two.
0: Correct, yeah.
1: Based so on research. Based on
0: research, but yeah. as you and I know, every <laughs> parent listening knows, every kid is different, right? And so that, I think, is the key aspect to this and the book, right? right. What we're talking about is that we need a new movement towards self-regulation. Right. Because some people, like my daughter, when a show is done, she's like, all done, and closes it and mm-hmm. walks away. No problem. My son, on the other hand, he's mesmerized. Yeah, he yeah. cannot turn it off. Each one of us are very different in our capacity and how we relate to the information. And here's the thing. When it was just TV, it was on or off, but it's not that anymore. The technology is built to be personalized. My home screen is different than your home screen, than every other home screen. So we live in a personalized world where the business model is to maximize the amount of attention that it gets from you, as we've said. And so... If you're a person who's cool with turning it off, then you don't need to worry about that. But if if your kid is not, then that is where you have to teach them this capacity to self-regulate. So maybe some kids do need, you know, you have 20 minutes now uh, on screen, and then you have 20 minutes Lego time, or whatever it might be. But other kids, I know this one couple, kind of hilarious, Google engineer, Married to child therapist. Okay. And they did an experiment in their home where they let their kid, they figured, like, we think our kid can self-regulate. No rules around the iPad. Uh, And it was a disaster. He was on it for, like, 10 hours a day and then super hyper and grouchy afterwards, couldn't sleep. It was just a disaster. That's, that's
1: where we're at. I mean, you know, I, I, in this case, it's it's YouTube and specifically YouTubers who talk about Minecraft.
0: Yeah, I've heard that's a
1: thing. We which haven't even gone It is a thing. And yeah, it could it could easily be ten hours if if that happens. Yeah. I mean, the way we try to regulate it is by like, let's have a play date in the middle, or you know, uh-huh. some you know, or get out of the house right. or do something. But um, but yeah, left to his own devices, uh, uh, it's yeah, it's, it'll be like it'll be ten hours and. And, yeah, he's not only hyper, but he's sort of hyper real. He's the way that those YouTubers are, like cartoonish and overblown. Yeah, and that's
0: so interesting. Disconnected and
1: absurdist in some way, you know. And I,
0: I, I guess what concerns <laughs> me is that they think that real life is kind of dull in comparison. Right. That only online life feels or and the rest of the world feels very gray.
1: I, I certainly have that same... Fear, and no doubt there's research backing that up, but I also am mindful of the fact that, like, Aristotle was concerned similarly about writing, destroying people's ability to remember I things. I mean, I and hear this argument all the, the time, People used look at the daydreaming people reading literature, you know, they don't, you know, the the, the, the my child is constantly lost in books. You know? I, I
0: get that argument all the time. Like, isn't this just the latest? I don't latest... know that I'm making
1: an argument. I'm just pointing that out. But like, I do get that argument yeah, yeah. all the time. Yeah. Isn't
0: this just the latest moral panic? People thought this when the printing press came out. When When cars came along, people thought, you know, that it was going to be the end of society or change society or change people. It does change people. Absolutely. Always. Right. You know, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Right. But the difference, I would say, between all of those other inno- inventions or innovations is this personalization element. Um, okay. You know, Tristan Harris, I don't know. I think you've had him on yeah, before. Yeah, I actually
1: heard him. I heard him on your show. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's great. Yeah. yeah.
0: So he, listening. you know, makes a good point that, you know. Like when I was growing up, I was on the phone, I would hang up the phone, right? Like, yes, it was addictive and I was talking to my girlfriends for three hours a night or whatever, but the phone would stay on the wall. And the right. difference is that now you take it off and you put it in your pocket and it comes where you are and it pings at you and it asks you to do things. And, you know, as an adult, I see the way that the ads change when I click on something or I leave something in my cart or whatever right. it is. It's personalized to get to to talk to you. And so... I'm not saying that, like, it's a disaster. What I'm saying is that what we need is digital and media literacy so that kids understand, A, the economic models, B, that it's not magic. Your your laptop does look like magic. But no, there are people who made it. (laughs) Same thing with the algorithms and also, you know, the data. So if you understand how it works and you understand how your brain works, then you can start to make better decisions about what kind of role you want to have it in your life.
1: That's right. Yeah. And I mean, my son is a he's a pretty rational, you know, smart kid, mm-hmm. so I'm able to like have these conversations with him, but there's a level at which, you know, there's just nothing other than setting some limits that's really going to stop him from being totally absorbed in YouTube for 12 hours. Either. Yeah, and it even though he can me. understand right. what's happening, even though he can Articulate, you know, better than than many people my age. What, what exactly, how these things work, and how they pull you in, and so on. Right. Right. You know.
0: So maybe your son can like talk to some of the people in Silicon Valley who are like, (laughs) um, it's you know, technology doesn't do this to people. People do this to themselves. Caveat
1: emptor. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And like, well, it's both, right? I mean, yeah. yeah, I heard, yeah. So (laughs) right. I mean, it's both. Like Tristan Harris on your show was saying that. Yeah, there needs to be a conversation in Silicon Valley. There need to be more kind of consciously designed products. Yeah. And, I, you know, I listen to that with a somewhat jaded ear because I think about products in the supermarket. Yes. Right? We've had those. We've had cereal for quite some time. Yes, now. we have. And it ain't getting a whole hell of a lot better. I mean, no. there are some options that are positive if you want to make that lifestyle choice. And that is a positive mm-hmm. development. But, you know, Tricks and Kicks and uh, Captain Crunch and all that stuff mm-hmm. is still right there, brightly colored with your kid's favorite cartoon on it, you know? So, like, we've had a long time for mm-hmm. that moral awareness to make a change in those industries. Mm-hmm. This really only it seems to be consumer preference mm-hmm. that has resulted in there being granola or other mm-hmm. options mm-hmm.
0: and why why is there consumer preference for that now why is like i mean i would argue because of education right right and sure. like so yeah. i think you know tristan's argument as i understand it is that you know who are the people who can afford to switch to granola it's educated people who know nutrition and who can afford to pay the extra two bucks a box right, right? which isn't really fair because it means <laughs> and that's one of the reasons why there's only organic fruit in certain neighborhoods and here in New York City but his point and I think it's a good one actually is that you know change starts from the the top the wealthiest the people who can afford to make the difference I think we're also seeing this in sexual harassment and the treatment of women in this country right. yes it's mostly famous white women who are getting the attention but you have to start somewhere to change a culture and I think the reason why you know Tristan is a former Google ethicist, also a techie. Sam Harris, who I know you've had yes. on the show. And Adam Alter, you mentioned a psychologist, I believe, or sociologist. Psychologist.
1: He's, he's a sociologist, but he's in the marketing department at NYU. Okay, yeah. so
0: understanding, you know, I'm not a doctor. I don't have a PhD, and I don't know how to code. But I think what's different about me is that I'm regular. And and what I can do as a journalist is be right. a guide to this accelerating world from the perspective, from an interdisciplinary look at all these things. How do you combine the neuroscience, the, the digital design, and, and just regular everyday life, which includes parenting and working with coworkers and deciding what you want your life to look at? That's where I can help people sort of make informed choices.
1: I think it really does start with values, like figuring out what is it that you want in your life? What do you want your life to be? What do you want your day to be? Like, And what is it? And are those two things aligned?
0: That, you, I think you totally put your finger on it. And it can sound kind of like Hallmark Cardi yeah, yeah, a yeah, bit, yeah. But well,
1: values is a terribly overused I know, it's a word, weird word. But, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: but having said that, the person who most came up to me when I was on book tour was a woman between the ages of 25 and 35 who said, thank you for helping me make choices. Mm. That is incredibly powerful to me. Why? Because we are seeing rising rates of depression and anxiety, particularly in younger women. Why? Because of the way women are treated and personified online. Right. Why? Because I think we... Don't have basic knowledge of how a lot of these platforms and apps work because there's not a lot of women in those worlds where they make those things. And so, you know, I think for me, it's been really interesting. When I started out as a tech show, it's seventy percent male listeners. Okay, but as the focus of the show changed to be how technology is changing how we fall in love, how we create our lives, how we Build communities. How we build our sense of self. Right. It's really switched. It's now like about seventy percent women, which oh. is really interesting. Oh wow! It's very interesting.
1: Oh, that is, that is interesting. Yeah. Men, men, well, women want to hear that stuff. Men don't more. You know. <laughs> I don't know the <laughs> reason, but I think you know. It's
0: yeah. like I mean, the that's, old that's saying that the like well, I, the dean of Harvey Mudd said to me that men when you, you know the first thing you learn to when you learn to code is you get a computer to say hello world right and men want to know how you do it
1: Mm -hmm. and women
0: not want to know why you do it
1: right and then also I think there's sort of there are kind of gendered reactions to the idea of like talking about yourself talking about the values and these sorts of
0: yeah we're in an amazing moment in our (laughs) country when it comes to that conversation (laughs) so for sure
1: absolutely um, I wanted to I wanted to talk a little bit about meditation because uh-huh. it comes up in your book yeah. briefly. So my understanding, right, of how in traditional like Buddhist meditation, not so not like I, I'm not really talking necessarily about this new wave of like meditation apps, although most of them are based in yes. classical Buddhism. But you know how like in traditional Buddhist meditation, the way that like boredom is dealt with, right? You're sitting there, you're focusing on your breathing. Boredom is seen, it's not seen as something to ignore or deny or Mm. push away. Mm. It's seen as something that you like recognize when you're feeling it and you kind of allow it to be, and then you allow it to pass. The goal is sort of building up the muscle so that in effect, like boredom is acting like, like an app trying to get our attention. In that view, yes, right? Yes, so that so that you are training yourself the same way you would be with a smartphone or whatever to be the one making the decision. so that if the boredom comes, it's not, I'm not acting reactively out of the boredom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now that seems a little bit like contrary to the message of bored and brilliant, yeah, yes, okay, okay. <laughs> so
0: thank you for bringing it up. There is a big difference between meditation and mindfulness mm. as we call it now and the mind wandering that boredom can ignite okay so as you say if you were meditating you would allow it to pass right right. my theory or hypothesis and i've had a lot of people try it is leaning into the boredom got it and it may not be pleasant it may be extremely uncomfortable because we know that mind wandering can lead us to some dark places and I would also add that meditation is about like a, not doing anything. You can do a walking meditation, right? But the idea to let your mind sort of be free of thought, right?
1: Um, no. So it, it wouldn't necessarily be about uh, ignoring, I- I- ignoring it or pushing it away or having it just, but it is seeing it, feeling it, and then letting, right. it, pass. letting well, it pass. Right, letting
0: it pass, which, I mean, I would not argue that that is a wonderful thing in this day and age. But I would add that we also need to maybe see where the mind wandering takes us. So instead of letting it pass, following it down the road, wherever it might go. Right. And I think
1: somewhere imaginative, creative, interesting. Correct. Exactly.
0: Because from the neuroscience, from what I understand is that when you meditate and you're igniting certain networks in your brain Mm. with boredom, mind wandering, you are igniting the default mode. The default mode is about creative ideas, problem right. solving and all of that. So I think we need to have both. Like, yeah, yeah. We need to have both. I mean, I just think of this one woman who she she wrote me that she was doing the Born and Brilliant project and she said, I just had a big cry in my car in the parking lot of the Whole Foods. And I want to thank you for that because usually when I, you know, would have these awful feelings i would check instagram to mm. distract myself and I'm like i think it's just that simple like my yeah. colleague jad Abumrad at radio lab calls it like the gut churn <laughs> that is like the moment of creativity it is uncomfortable it does not feel good it is i'm almost angry because i'm trying to work something out
1: right and
0: i certainly don't try to feel those things when i am meditating
1: right yeah the creative any creative act can be kind of can be painful yes. uncomfortable you know yeah. Okay, so I think, I think this might be a good moment. For Can us to, I just say, though, yeah, yeah. you just
0: reminded me, I read this quote this morning um, from David Bowie saying that the, his biggest mistakes were when he tried to please oh. the audience or second-guess himself to okay. please the audience and that it was only when he listened to himself was did he make his best stuff. Oh, and wow. I think what we're talking about is the capacity to listen to self.
1: Yeah, which I think is really hard to do, especially like especially when you're David Bowie like <laughs> with so many images of yourself out in that world out in the world reflecting back at you, you know. Totally. Yeah, like, oh, am I Ziggy Stardust now who, you know, that, like yeah. trying to but but for all of us, like Totally. Yeah.
0: But I I think that that's interesting too to decide I can be different things and whatever resonates with the audience, but just so you know, it all resonates with inside me, like there's something very I don't know, David, David Bowie, whatever he says is right. So there you go.
1: No, I completely, <laughs> I, I'm, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I, b- actually, before we get to the second part, I wanted to ask you, like you said something I heard on, on Note to Self where mm. you were talking about how you were like grateful to the audience or to the show for having kind of allowed you to like discover a voice that you didn't sort of Mm -hmm. know you had Mm -hmm. when you were a reporter. Like you started out Mm -hmm. in, uh, you were like on BBC, BBC America. No. Britain. Yeah. Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. um, And, you know, so I just, I wanted to ask you sort of, what that was like, like how, Mm. how did you evolve into, and what, what does it mean to sort of be, be able, be freer to kind of be your own voice at this point?
0: Well, to me it was about, um, I mean, I think it's the, the medium you're listening right now to a podcast. (laughs) And as you well know, then listening to a podcast is, I mean, I'm I'm not the first to say it, one of the most intimate mediums there is. And I, I think when I was a reporter, I never had people come up and hug me when they met me, but I do now with podcasting. And I I think it's because we go jogging together. We go to the grocery store together. And if they want the news, they can listen to anyone deliver it. A good reporter is a good reporter.
1: And we sort of, I guess that goal of objectivity makes it, such that reporting has to be a little more formal. Correct. Yeah, yeah.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, For yeah. some, whatever reason that is, maybe that will change. But I think the, the only way to resonate or stand out and truly be useful to the audience is to develop a relationship with them right. in podcasting. And so the only way I know how to do that is just by talking to them like they're my friend. You are, audience. You are my friend. I really do believe that. <laughs> I, Having just been on book tour, it was really interesting to see, like, who came out to hang. And it was the podcasting people. Right, They literally would say to me, like, yeah, I was coming to see you, my friend. And there's a relationship there because I – and I, you know, as a courtesy to them, will share – pretty personal stuff yeah. because they've chosen to listen to me. You know, I, I don't take that for granted. Time is precious. There's a lot out there. Right. If they have done me the honor of listening, they sure as how deserve to get the best of me, including like my personal thoughts and problems and combining of ideas so that, so that they feel it's worth it to spend time with me.
1: Was that a learning curve for you? Oh, of, hell yeah! Trust and like, you know, Oh yeah, Cause right. Cause isn't there that feeling of like
0: vulnerability? For yeah. Sure. And like how
1: much of, how much of this do they want at what, what point does that become, you know, does me be, be right. So like sometimes I will, I will try to be me in like an outro to my show. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm being me right now, but, <laughs> but like sometimes, you know, in the past when I've tried to just sort of be where I was at, you yes. know, my engineer has come back and been like, you know, you need to kind of raise your energy a little bit or something. Oh, are you? Are, know, you,
0: may, are you very like? Lo- are you very? I don't low know. Energy? I don't
1: think I'm that low energy. I you think I'm sort of introspective or something. But you know, so I've been like, <laughs> you know, I've been uh-huh. been like, hi, this was an episode, and I think you know somehow to her it came out as like, hi, this was, not know, you know, or uh-huh, but but uh-huh. but just trying to find that like comfort. There's a level. lot of
0: modulation. I mean, no doubt. Yeah, like, yeah. I am my my at the risk of sounding very Oprah my best real self right. in front of the microphone right, right, right. i'm not you know what i mean right. like we're there's not, definitely we're not
1: not everything is hanging out i suppose for us uh, in every possible
0: I, you know honestly and i will give my executive <laughs> producer jen Point, a lot of credit for this um that when
1: we're talking shop here folks yeah sorry yeah. about that but <laughs>
0: she um when we first started really trying to make that transition she would come and hang out in the studio with me and I would just talk to her mm. and that really helped me and then she was she there was a sense of trust from her and um Dean Capello the chief creative officer at New York Public Radio that if you are yourself the audience will like you believe right. us right and then okay so I trusted them and I followed you know instructions and then they were right and they do and and I love them back and like
1: well that's that's really nice to have that kind of support oh
0: hell yeah definitely
1: mentorship and wisdom I'd never experienced that that. before yeah well cool yeah I mean I've had a bit of that here but I've been also sort of a one-man band so kind of having to tell it to myself you know I think
0: you know creative endeavors there's a moment for individual thinking and there's a moment where like a team really like oh yeah is going to make it that much better.
1: Oh, for sure. But we do great you things without any time. Okay. Jason. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Okay. Um, no, no, I will actually, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I said that I was like, yeah, actually, thanks. Okay, I'm sure you're busy. <laughs> yeah, no, I will. Okay. Um, you sound pretty good. Well, thanks very much. These new mics really help. But yeah. um, anyway, so so let's uh, let's go to the second part of the show. So this okay. is the surprise part. We are going to, and I'm saying this as much for the benefit of the audience as for Manush here. The video producers have chosen surprise clips from Big Things archives. These are past interviews. They could be on any topic. I have not seen them. Manush has not seen them. <gasps> And what
0: will they be? Right.
1: Exactly. They're going to be it's going to be about like understanding the nature of pie in classical mathematics. No, probably. Please. Not, no, no, probably not. But we we'll, can we'll, talk pumpkin, but not pumpkin pie. Yeah. Decimals. We'll, we'll be talking a lot of that okay. later this week.
2: Following the principles in the four hour chef can improve one's life, even if they have no interest in food, because it's really a cookbook for learning disguised as a cookbook for food. So somewhat like Zen in the art of motorcycle maintenance in that respect. And as it turns out the kitchen is the perfect place, the perfect dojo for human potential and exploring all of the avenues by which you can improve learning because you engage all the senses. And I was not only a non-cook but an anti-cook for my whole life. And until I watched my girlfriend show me how to cook by having me smell different things and tell her if they went together, it really opened my eyes to how much could be done in the kitchen that applied outside of the kitchen. My readers have been asking me for a book on learning, accelerated learning, for five years now. And the problem is that writing about learning in the abstract is really boring to write, and it's also really boring to read. So I needed a vehicle for teaching all these things that I've experimented with since college, whether that's you know, smart drugs or language learning or what have you. And cooking, because I feared it for so long, ended up being the perfect starting point because I could take people from ground zero being really insecure, really fearful, to really feeling completely self-reliant in the kitchen and all of the bumps in the road, all of the lessons learned throughout. And what I hope people take from it at the end of the day is believing wholeheartedly that they can become world class, i.e. top 5% in the world in one or two things per year, not one or two things per lifetime. Uh, because I think that the 10,000 hour rule applies in certain places, but not all places. And what I've had a lot of fun doing is seeking out the anomalies. Not just where the groups condense, but looking for the really unusual anomalies. Somebody who learns Icelandic in seven days well enough to go on TV and be interviewed. And someone who can memorize, has trained himself to memorize a deck of cards in 43 seconds, no matter how you shuffle it, with no real natural gift. Uh, Someone who learns to become a world-class swimmer at age 38. These anomalies. And then looking for the recipe, right, the step-by-step process that produces results over and over and over again that those people use, sort of identifying and distilling the recipe so other people can apply it. And I've just found that food is a great way to explore all of that. Because even if you never make a single recipe, if you… Learn to engage with food. Your experience of every meal you have goes from black and white, good, bad, hot, cold, to HD in a million colors.
1: What, like, what's the most complicated thing that you have learned as an adult?
0: I'm still learning it. And this is what, I, for, first I should say, I'm a Tim Ferriss fan.
1: I like Tim. He's great. He was I on do. this show. He, he's, he's awesome. He's an. To me, he's an anomaly. Like I don't. I don't. Like I, he both fascinates and 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 surprises me, and I don't. I don't get him, and I. And I. But yet, I'm. Yes. He's. He's. He's an enigma. Yeah.
0: Having said that, <laughs> one sentence that he said struck me and frustrated me, frankly, <laughs> in that he said, "I would like people to become world class at one or two things per year, not through a lifetime." Right. I would just add as a wife and a mother that I am trying to do that. And it is a year in, year out, lifelong endeavor to be good as a parent and as a spouse. And that leaves very little time for me to learn Icelandic or (laughs) world-class swimming. So as a woman, I sometimes have felt neglected by some of Tim's instruction. Right. That might be one of the reasons why people, women and men, feel comfortable talking to me. Because I, I mean, look, I would love to be world class at a lot of things, right. but I'm just trying to get through today.
1: <laughs> you know right, what I right, mean? Right, right, right. So I um, mean, presumably Tim is trying to help us all somehow distill that into the very little time that we do have. I mean, if I I, I have not attempted his system, and I am skeptical. I have like,
0: attempted many okay. of Tim's systems. I love it, but I find that certain people, maybe like me, actually need to be told less to lean in and less to <laughs> optimize and more to lean back and to take sort of the downtime because it's just as important as the intense periods.
1: And these and this kind of ethos can make you insane and make oh, you yeah. feel... Yeah, just completely like, oh, totally. like a loser all the time. Guilt, you know, yeah. I should be doing more. I should become more.
0: Or just an annoying person to be around, too. Like, yeah. I think my husband sometimes right. is like, just chill the fuck out, <laughs> you know? Like, all right, you're optimized, but you're not very fun, you know? So I think, look, there's certain people who don't need, like, a fire lit under them. The fire burns all too brightly. Right. But they might burn out. So I would like yeah. to be the yin to Tim's yang. Sure. Or the other way around, whatever's appropriate.
1: But going into like, I mean, forget about like optimizing things, but like something complicated, aside from parenting. I mean, parenting, it's forever, like it's you said. It's just a mindfuck, isn't it really? Yeah, <laughs> and it's not. Are we allowed
0: to curse on your show? I should no, have asked. No,
1: cursing is okay. Oh, okay, good. Curse away. Yay. Like parenting's a tough example because it it because you never know if you're doing it right. Yeah. I mean, it's when it's a longitudinal experiment that you <laughs> totally. that you don't really get reliable data on because there's too many variables. Yes,
0: I think that's <laughs> exactly right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> totally. Right? I mean, even education, I think about this all the time. It's like, what the hell are we doing? We have no idea what we're actually doing when yes. it comes to educating kids. It's like, it's like, okay, these are the skills they will need in the 21st century, like, yeah, uh, we don't know that these these things are actually teaching those skills. I mean, it, it's a lot of sorcery, a lot of alchemy, really.
0: Just doing the best we can.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: But I fear that sometimes that that this mode of thinking that we can use data and feedback and crack the problem mm. is how many people in silicon valley think right um yeah and, and tim
1: for the audience is definitely a product of that he was an sure. investor he was an angel investor for a long time Yeah.
0: right yeah. and as a consequence you end up having a very certain type of person namely male white data driven building the tools that entire societies are using right and we've seen some of the negative effects of that people are not data and so yeah well, this probably went in a direction, Jason, that you did not no, no, intend to no, go. No, no, that's
1: the whole point. <laughs> the whole point of this is it going in directions I do not intend it to go.
0: Having said that, I find chopping celery very methodically, <laughs> extremely satisfying. So there you go.
1: Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I wouldn't want a system for cooking. Cooking to me is like a spiritual practice that I've just done, uh-huh. you know, my whole life. Like, I guess if I hated it and didn't understand it, maybe I, I could. If he had a four-hour gardener, that would oh, be good for me because I kill too, all yeah. living. I would, like,
0: four-hour yeah. uh, spring cleaning.
1: Yeah, that, that would be That would good. be very satisfying. But so they come up with these systems, like there's the Marie Kondo, you can, simplify oh, totally. your life, throw called everything away. I've the Marie
0: Kondo of digital habits. Oh, okay. So I, I gravitate towards but, this
1: but stuff. But, see, my issue with these systems yeah. is that, we kind of going back to what you were saying before, I have a tendency to find them really fascinating yeah. and then adopt, like, a bunch of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, Totally. To the point where I'm going completely insane. Yeah. And then I feel I have no organic relationship to my reality. Like when the whole point was to make my relationship to my life more organic, more simplified, whatever. Yes. You know, I mean, over time, I guess I've learned to kind of take what's useful and get rid of what, you know, and and get rid of what isn't. Right. But it's holding on to the
0: humanity part, right? Like with the, I, I think I can see that, you know. I was speaking to um, Google had an in-house philosopher okay. in, uh, <laughs> in Europe, not here, um, when they were told that they needed to um, implement the right to be forgotten in the European Union. So okay. this is this idea that you could petition Google and say, you should remove this link because uh, it uh, says not nice things about me right. and I've you know done my criminal time. Or I it's mm. not relevant to the public that I had this financial mishap or whatever. And, you know, the problem is that an algorithm can't decide what is ethically correct to scrub from the Google search engine and not ethically correct. And Luciano Floridi, who's at Oxford, who was brought in as a philosophical consultant, was saying that the look of, you know, real shock and surprise on these software engineers that they would be asked to make moral and ethical decisions when all they were doing was they thought building algorithms that would cleanly without emotion make decisions they would bring up a link that's right. what it does right right if only it were so simple and unfortunately human beings are extremely messy so systems have their place i think right. but the problem is we're human and so they might get perverted or diluted or muddied and then you have to rely on your sense of what is right or wrong
1: or morally yeah defensible. yeah defensible I mean, going back. The, so I was thinking about this while I was reading your book, which is this. There's sort of a have your cake and eat it too kind of thing going on mm. in your book, I got to say, like Ooh, where tell me yeah, go, where, go. where where it's like where it's well, you, you want to reassure people that they don't have to throw away their Instagram completely, yes. you know, like and and I think that's legit. I mean, sure. You know, they're. You know, we're not going to go back to living in the trees necessarily unless someone wants to do that, which I think is totally fine. But I guess I find myself wondering whether, you know, there is is this thing where, like, when we deal, when we see ourselves kind of enmeshed in this world Mm. where we're like, I don't like what I feel, but, like, I really don't want to totally miss out. And I wonder, like, sometimes are there ways in which we we can't necessarily have our cake and eat mm. it too in which like you know f- for example i deleted facebook from my phone you know i'm now starting to feel like okay wait i'm i'm in a media uh, world and that is my life my professional life and i need to be present and so on but like i guess what i'm trying to say is like might it not be the case that being on social media a lot isn't necessarily good for people, you know, might it, may, you know, I mean, I know your book is about unplugging. I know that people did unplug to, to a certain extent, but mm. it's also about like, how do we kind of keep these things in our lives? Isn't it? Yeah.
0: No. And I, my whole thing is I hate it when people call this a detox because I uh, just don't think right. that it's on or off. That's not the answer. Right. It's not a binary. And unfortunately I think that's how a lot of us see it. Like I'm either like, you know, living my regular life or I'm on, you know, a, a break and the phone is off and I'm in the trees, right. like you say. Right. Well, that's very nice, but I can't do that. I have to live with this stuff. It's my vocation. Sure. I'm a parent, all of those things. And so to me, it's about all that mushy gray stuff in the middle and understanding how we live with these platforms and devices and apps and tools without them driving us crazy or becoming taskmasters in our lives. And ultimately, I think it relies on a a little bit more self-knowledge and understanding that for some of us, you can't have Facebook on your phone because it makes you nuts. Mm. And if you know that, cool. Yeah, yeah. And other people, no big deal. It's fine.
1: You know, I I don't know if this is, how best to put this, but I feel like we all need to be a little more punk about this stuff and just say like, and just say like, you know, like what, like, like it's about power. Like what, you know, your power to do what you want with your life. It makes me
0: think about like when I thought it was cool, like I'll use cigarettes as the example, right? Yeah. And then one, I remember, being told how the tobacco companies manipulated the market and um, advertising and all of those things. And right. you're like, you know, you're 16 and I was sneaking off to the golf course to smoke. And then when you hear that, you're like, fuck the system, man. <laughs> right. You are not, you don't get to control me. Right. I'm not smoking these things. Like, you're, you don't get to be the boss. It's almost, I think we're at that moment with technology where we're like, yeah. you know, this is the system now. And like, there's a moment where we're like, Okay, maybe it's not like cigarettes because there are good, you know, nothing good comes from smoking a cigarette, right. other than that lovely feeling you get relaxation. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, that's smoky.
1: that's spicy. Yeah, you know, but they but aroma. okay. Let's
0: yeah. use coffee. Like right. I'm not gonna pound coffee all day. Right. At some point, I have to say, okay you're cracked out and you're jittery and (laughs) your breath is horrendous enough noon that's your cutoff. right for me other people i know are like oh i have one cup in the morning and i'm good to go well lucky you i'm an extremist um and so i know that i need to like i have problems with instagram i don't like to look at it i feel emotionally overwhelmed it's exhausting to me Mm -hmm. and i've decided that that uh, emotional energy is better spent doing other things.
1: Right. You have other priorities that are, uh, that you'll right. achieve if you aren't. Right. And other people
0: may be like, what the hell are you talking about? I love looking at Instagram. It's very relaxing,
1: but then r- that works r- for you. Right. Then,
0: right. It's asking that question. What am I getting out of this? You know, I don't like to sound like a Cassandra and like we're all <laughs> doomed, but I do think, um, there's a story I like to tell about this moment I had with my 13 year old neighbor. Okay. Where she had just gotten a phone because that's what you do when you're 13, right. apparently. And um, I was like, I was trying to be cool. I was like, oh, what are you going to do this weekend? Like, go to a party and pss, Instagram about it? I don't <laughs> know, whatever. And she kind of looked at me like, she was like, <laughs> no only losers are on their phones all weekend and i
1: was like okay
0: oh well isn't that interesting i mean this is the generation who saw their gen x parents unable to put the phone down at the dinner table and maybe this is another part of the resetting of cultural norms or backlash maybe even like That generation Z or double a or whatever we're calling them, that they're like, it's not going to be cool when you, when our 10 year old during high school to be posting nonstop.
1: Yeah. We're not, that's, that's what I mean about being punk. I mean, humans are, we're resilient and we're resistant and we, you know, we push back against things.
0: It's the reset, right? It's like one extreme to another. I mean, we can only hope that that's the case for our politics as well in this country. We've gone to one extreme and let's, Let's go back, you know, a little bit more sh- centrist. I hope.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's up to us, right, to, to determine how we use the things and how we design them, right? Yeah. So I think we have time for one more quick, you know. Oh, uh,
0: we need w- Oh my God! All this stemmed from Tim Ferriss. That was Tim Ferriss, and I,
1: you know, I don't know. Yeah, we. They, they, he you sparked all of that, but we certainly went far afield from cooking and <laughs> and learning, didn't we? All right, so this is Brian Cranston and the actor from Breaking Bad and other amazing things, and it's called Career Advice to Generations Young and Old, Learn to Work Together.
3: There's power in confidence. I'm on the other side of the, the table now a lot. I produce and I direct and I write, and I can really feel the difference when someone comes into a room with confidence, but I want to draw the distinction between confidence and boastfulness. Someone who is figuratively pounding their chest saying how great they are, that's not confidence to me, that's, that's egocentric behavior and that makes me push away. Someone who boasts about how great they are, mm, I'm leery about that. But there's a quiet confidence and what I try to to express to millennials, to younger generation of actors, writers, directors, artists of any kind, is to to value your talent. And I would say to them, I'd say, are you talented? And I hope you say yes. That's not a boast. It's, It's being honest. Do you go out and tell everybody on the street, hey, I'm talented, I'm really talented? No. It's for yourself. It's internal, and you can own that, and you can value, greatly value, your own contributions.
0: Well, to me, I hear this often about not being um, egotistical or boastful, as he put it, and I have to say (laughs) that advice only really applies to dudes. I've never seen a woman Uh, walk into a room and be boastful or egocentric. Right. Ever.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, he didn't make that distinction. I wonder whether... And
0: I don't think most people do. Yeah. And I find it very upsetting (laughs) because I think, if anything, he's saying, yes, value your confidence, but don't be bragging about it. I think a lot of women need to get to the valuing and and the confidence part they've got a ways to go before they get to boastful.
1: So we only heard like a tiny bit of that, that Mm. clip, but I, I, you know, one thing I heard in that, that Mm. might somewhat mitigate this is Mm -hmm. like, what prevents a lot of people from feeling and acting with confidence is a fear of that projecting any kind of confidence is an act of boastfulness. You know that, that, so that like, for example, like when you're trying to, like when they tell you market yourself or yeah, yeah, totally. whatever. Right. And, yeah. and you're learning how to do that as a young professional sure. and it's like, and for a lot of, I think, especially creative people, mm-hmm. I would say like that's absolutely mortifying because there's this idea of like gross, Ew, gross. I'm yeah, putting totally. myself out there and showing off. Yeah, yeah, And, and what I got was that he was saying like, if you have that feeling, that's like, don't think of it like that. It's not, it's not necessarily about that. It's Mm -hmm. about like showing up and representing Mm -hmm. yourself and, Mm -hmm. you know, having pride in yourself. So I don't, does that only apply to dudes?
0: No, absolutely not. I think that's also very much a cultural thing. Like having, I'm first generation American. So I come from parents. Where where were your parents? My dad's from Iran. My Uh. mom's from Switzerland. Right. And you do not talk about yourself, Uh it's just bad form. Uh Uh, I spent most of my formative years working for the BBC. And in British culture, if you talk about yourself or say that you're good at something, like you just don't do that. It's a self deprecating culture. So when I got into. American media, like, you know, I was 30 already. Those those things were pretty wired into me that you do not think that you're good at something. Everybody sucks, and you do too. Right. We're all just garbage. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's been, like, really hard that's, that's for me. That's the message
1: of Iranian and... Uh, not and, Iranian, and, and more, <laughs> this,
0: I, you know, I think it's, it's very British. <laughs> right. That's been a big lesson for me, for sure. Like, I learned that very late in life. I think I'm a late bloomer because of it. I yeah. only found out that I was good at, like, not being behind the camera, but being in front of it or in front of a microphone very late in life.
1: We get a lot of pressure. Not in that I'm like
0: 80 years old, but like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> audience, she's not so 80 by even.
1: any means. Um, we, we get a lot of pressure though, like in, in this culture mm. to put our, to sort of, show off in a way I mean
0: absolutely I just came back from always well I just came back from a podcasting conference actually and like so majority of the people wanted to know how to be a host and I heard from my producer who was like it was really annoying like no one was like how am I how do I become the best producer out there
1: Mm, and look
0: not everybody can be a, a host you might find that you don't like it or maybe you aren't good at it you know what i
1: mean well and i would say that if you are good at it in what i would consider good at it is like you're good at it because you listen to other people mm. not not because you are the most showoffingest you know mm-hmm. uh, excitingest on all the time kind of but regardless person, you know? i think
0: there wasn't an emphasis yeah, yeah, on yeah, yeah. The, the support the staff stuff, the people yeah, who yeah. truly do you know my producers are awesome and like I can't, I can't sound good without them, you
1: know? No, and they do magic. I mean, audio Completely. producers and, and editors.
0: But I think, you, you know, know, when you're, when know you're branding inside, yourself yeah. or you're the star of your own Instagram life, like that is what our culture is about. And so, um, right. yeah, quiet confidence. Mm, it's also very like attractive, I would say. Like, you know, it's why I fell in love with my husband. <laughs> you know, quiet confidence about him. But he was also very self-deprecating.
1: That's right. And I was going to say that I I feel like real confidence has an element of insecurity to it. Like, you know, Mm. self-awareness, like enough to know that you're not perfect, but enough kind of self-friendship to... Yeah,
0: that's a nice way to put it. Self-friendship. that. That's going
1: back to me as like the meditator in residence. Yeah, yeah. that's That's a classical Buddhist kind of the word they translate as loving kindness is yes, better translated as self an, yeah. as friendship. Sorry. is oh, better, is better or friendliness or yes. whatever. That's a better translation of that poly word. Like, and
0: just to bring it full circle, yeah, yeah. there's this one young woman, she must've been like 15 at a book event that I did. And she came with her mom mm. and she was the one who I really sticks out in my mind, raised her hand and was like, I don't think I can do this cause I'm too scared to be alone meaning disconnect like,
1: from apps disconnect and so on you yeah. be
0: alone with her thoughts right. and i and I, I talked about exactly that now that you put it that way huh. the friendship part and i was like you know the only person who's going to be with you for the rest of your life is yourself so you might as well be friends and you might as well learn to have a conversation because you're going to be together for an awful long time and i think that that's what we're talking about with a lot of these issues is an a fear of having that conversation and maybe not liking what you hear back.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And I mean, some of that can be cultural. I suppose there are cultures where being alone is just absolutely the worst thing that could possibly happen, you know, to you. And I'm also thinking, um, total non semi non sequitur. (laughs) I'm thinking of, uh, my dinner with andre where uh-huh. you have so it's andre gregory and wallace shawn oh, yes, the playwright yes. and wallace shawn they have exactly this conversation uh, andre yes. gregory is like you know i sit and i meditate and i'm in and wallace shawn is like that sounds terrible to oh, me right. i would be alone and then all the thoughts would go and right. attack me and whatever and like exactly like that seems like a red flag to me like if your thoughts are attacking you you probably need to spend more time alone not less
0: unless you live in a culture where you know it's a tribal sort of thing where right, the thoughts right, of the okay, group right. are the thoughts of you. I mean, I think you're totally right. It's a cultural thing. But in this Western world, that idea comes up just over and over and over again through this, the centuries, right. really. This idea of individuation. What does it mean to be a human and, and to have, as my son said to me last night, which was quite a moment, he yeah. said, so I am thinking about how I am going to be thinking. I was mm. like, he's like, what is that? And I was like, that's called consciousness. <laughs> and it's a human thing. And he was like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty awesome.
1: I think that's, that's a good place to leave this <laughs> wonderful conversation. <laughs> at, think at, again. At your son's metacognition <laughs> and aware, awareness <laughs> of his humanity. Manusha Marodi, I've, I've really enjoyed this. Thanks so much for being on the show today.
0: Oh, Jason, I'm going to say in quiet confidence that I really enjoyed it as well. This was great.
1: And uh, Manusha's new book is Bored and Brilliant, How Spacing Out Can Unlock Your Most Productive and Creative Self. And I'm so glad it brought her to the show today. <laughs> Thanks for listening, folks. I've got an announcement to make. We're going to be back next week and the week after that. And then we're taking three full weeks off, returning on January 13th. This is time for me to focus on family, look ahead to the new year, and maybe read a book that has nothing whatsoever to do with the show. And if you want to email me any reflections about the show or anything at all, it's a great time for me to write you back. I'm at Jason at BigThink.com. See you next week.